John, one of the last living disciples that walked with Jesus, was living in exile on an island called Patmos. One day, God gave him a vision, commanding him to write letters to seven different churches. John also saw a series of mysterious and symbolic scenes. He saw a door open into heaven, and he was swept up into it. He saw a throne with someone sitting on it. In front of the throne, he saw a lamb looking as if it had been killed. Lightning flashed from the throne and thunder clapped. People and creatures surrounding the throne all fell down and worshiped the lamb. And thousands of angels circled the throne and said in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Every creature in heaven and on earth gave praise to the lamb and to the one seated on the throne. Next, John saw every person who ever lived standing in front of the throne. A book called the Book of Life opened up. Anyone whose name was not in the Book of Life was thrown into a lake of fire. But for all those whose names were there, something amazing awaited. John saw a bright and shining city descend from the sky. A loud voice told him this was where all of God's people will live and that God will live there among them forever. God will wipe away every tear and there will be no more death, crying, or pain. A river as clear as crystal flowed from the throne of God through the middle of this great city. Next to the river stood the tree of life, which healed the world from every wrong, making all things perfect. Then Jesus himself, standing with John, said, Come, let those who are thirsty come. Let all who wish take a free gift of the water of life. This morning, we've come to the end of our journey. Actually, this morning and next week, we're going to bo- uh, break the uh, book of Revelation into two Sundays. This morning, we're going to focus on chapters 2 and 3. Many of you will remember that we began this journey together way back in early September. And if you have kept up with the readings, you have actually read more than 70% of the Bible since September. It's amazing, isn't it? This morning, we're going to focus on chapters 2 and 3, which is the words of the Lord to seven churches in Asia Minor. Now, why are we doing that? Because this is a portion of the book of Revelation that needs to be focused on because it's the word to the churches, and churches tend to have the same issues that they deal with no matter what generation they're in. And so we're going to see very quickly this morning seven warnings that come to seven uh, churches in Asia Minor. There are many more churches at the time, but these were seven churches that were congregated in a general area in what is now known as Turkey. Next week, we're going to focus on the rest of the book of Revelation. We really didn't want to do that in one week, and then next week, we're going to celebrate together the end of our journey. But the seven letters to the seven churches summarizes a lot of the warnings that we have heard these last 30 weeks. And so this morning, as we begin, I want you to hear these words that are repeated throughout these these words to the seven churches. It says this, 
It says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which you just saw on the screen, which is the paradise of God. And we see that repeated. Let him who has ears, let him hear. Now, what does that mean? This is something that the Bible uses, a phrase the Bible uses to emphasize that what he's talking about is of incredible importance. Now, what I've found over the years that there are people who just love the book of Revelation and don't read anything else, and those who are frightened by the book of Revelation and never read it. And even those who love the book of Revelation, they often ignore these seven letters. But they're of incredible importance to us. And so this morning, in the moments that we have together, what I want to do is I want to share each uh, a challenge from each of these seven churches or given to each of these seven churches. Here's my challenge for you. Listen for you and then listen for the church. Listen for you. What is God saying to you? You're the church. I'm the church. The church isn't a building. The church is people. So it's seven letters to people like you and me. I'm taking one challenge from each of the seven letters. Now they have a general, if you read it this week, they have kind of a general flow. Words typically, words of encouragement and then uh, of affirmation and then a word of challenge. Yet this I have against you. This is something you're not doing well. This is an area in which you need to grow. And then the next word is always repent. What does repent mean? It means you're going in this direction in this area, turn around and go in the other direction. So having said that, here are the opening words that come. Oh, maybe it helped if I turned it on? My bad. Okay, everybody clap. There we go. Um, thank you. It's on the clapper this morning. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, who reads aloud the book of Revelation, and blessed are those who hear it and take heart, and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. What does he mean the time is near? The time of the return of Jesus is near in God's timetable. And so he says, pay attention to what you are going to hear. And here are the seven challenges to the seven churches. The first challenge is to the church at Ephesus, to the Ephesian church. And I want you to hear these words. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. As I was reading this, I, I felt convicted immediately. He's talking about loving God as the first love of our lives and loving others with the love that we began with as we became believers in Christ. I want you to think for a moment, particularly for those of us who have been Christians for a long time. Do we need to renew the love in our heart for the Lord? You see, what happens as time goes on, life happens. 
we grow weary, we get tired, we get sick, we have questions as life goes on about things that God allows that we would never allow, and we struggle with that. And over time, because we're not nurturing that relationship with Christ, distance grows, and we have lost our first love. I am not to love my wife first. I'm not to love my children first. I'm not to love the church first. I'm to love God first and foremost in my life. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about marriage. And so often when I meet with couples, what I find is, is that we come to points in our marriages often where we're just kind of roommates, yeah, we made a commitment to each other on our wedding day, and we're still, we're still living together and faithful to one another, but we've lost that love that we had. We've lost that passion that we have. Well, what happened? Well, life happened. Kids happened. Amen? Life happened. And what's happened as a result of life is that we have not nurtured that relationship. We have not fed that relationship. We have not worked through things in that relationship. We have not spent quality time in that relationship. And so over time, what's happened is we, that love has kind of dimmed. That spark is still there, but it's just a little spark. The same is true in your relationship with the Lord. What happens in our relationship with the Lord, we've been a believer for a long time, and maybe we're serving in many different ways. I've seen this happen in my life. I've seen it happen in the lives of many other people who serve the Lord, giving everything that we have, and before we know it, we're not nurturing our relationship with God. We're not spending time alone with God. We're not reading the Word for ourselves, but for other people. That happens to me as a pastor. Okay, I'm studying this. Okay, God, what do you want to say to the people? Not God, what do you want to say to me? Any relationship that has value has to be nurtured. God made us that way. It's true for all relationships. In our relationship with God, I want to ask you this morning, do you need to renew that relationship with God this morning? Do you need to ask the Lord... And, and make a commitment to quality time with him and ask him, Lord, renew that spark. Renew that passion that I've had for you in my life. I remember when I was, I spent some time after reading this, thinking about when I was a first, first was a believer. Now, I don't expect all my life to be like when I was a first believer. Just as in my marriage, I don't expect that I'll always that I will always feel like I did that first moment I laid eyes on Beth. Oh, wow. That was amazing. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Have you? Ask the Lord. Renew that commitment today. Maybe for you, you've just kind of walked away. Renew that commitment today. Lord, I'm coming home again. I'm coming home. Stir in me, God. 
stir in my heart and give me a passion for you and the things that you are passionate about. Here's a second thing that I want to mention this morning, and that's the church at Smyrna. Now, Smyrna was 35 miles north of Ephesus, and here is what the Lord, here's what the Lord says to the church at Smyrna. He says in verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Ooh, can we just scratch that out? I don't want to go through something hard. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Smyrna, just 35 miles north of Ephesus, was experiencing incredible persecution. Christians were being beaten for their faith. Christians were being ostracized for their faith. Christians were losing their job because of their faith. They were paying a price to be a follower of Jesus. And in the midst of us, this is what they hear. You will continue to suffer more. Oh, Lord. I don't want to suffer more. Let me just share with you a couple things that I see in this that I think are significant. Number one, God knows and he cares. What a loving thing to do to let us know that it, the time has not ended. But he says the end is coming. The time has not ended, but the end is coming. I can make it through 10 days. I can make it through this suffering as terrible as it is, and some will lose their lives, but I can make it through that if I survive it. And then the second thing I want you to see is that our opposition, friends, in this world, it's never against people. It's against Satan himself. Listen to what he says. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you. It's, the, it's Satan who's behind the persecution of Christians. This is why Paul says, pray against the right enemy. Most of us are praying against people. When I pray about the situation that's happening in Ukraine, I don't just say, Lord, do something to Putin. I say, Lord, bind Satan, that he will have no influence over Putin. And those who are standing around him. That's where our battle is. Read Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. We continue on and we see the church of Pergamum. Do not compromise. I love this. In verses 14 and 15, we read these words. And I want you to think about your own life. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Here's what's happened. They've compromised. They've compromised. They've fallen prey to what is happening in their culture. They, what's happened is they've accepted other teaching. There's some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Here's the problem, friends. And this has been a problem in every culture. We are victims of what is called syncretism. What, syncretism is a big word that simply means this. I hold to this truth, 
and to this truth and this truth and this truth and this truth. And I just mix it all into a bag. And that's how I live my life. You and I are daily impacted by social media, by what we see on TV, what we, what we read online. We, by the news and everything else, just forms how we see things. We live in a world, as every culture has since, since Adam and Eve sinned, we live in a world that is foreign to the ways of God. And what is happening to many of us is that we are taking some of these things from the world and mixing it into our Christian bag. And this is what was happening in this church. And they were tolerating it. And they were allowing it. Friends, we need to measure everything we hear on the news, in social media, against the truth of God's word. Our culture does more to form us, because we're not people of Scripture, does more to form us than we allow the Word of God to, to transform us and to change us. We need to see the world through these eyes, not the eyes of our culture. And yet we are, we are being formed by the things that we hear. What I have found in my life is that when I was first became a Christian many, many years ago, what I believed was pretty much in, consistent with the American culture for the, in terms of what I believed. Christianity was very popular when I came to be a believer in the 1970s. It was the, the Jesus movement. And Christianity was popular. Churches were growing and people, were, um, pe there were, people believed and they, they served the Lord. And what we did as a people was framed by Scripture. But friends, here's what's happened. That is not the case anymore. Many people say that we are in a post-Christian society. Now, that doesn't mean that will always be that way. That can change. But we don't want to go the way of Europe. Where we allow culture to dictate what it is that we believe. No. And see, this is what's happened in this church. They've allowed themselves to change, to take these different religions and to compromise God's truth by mixing Christianity with all these other false religions. Make no mistake about it, there are many false religions in our culture today. The biggest one that I see right now is basically every person has their own truth. That there is no absolute truth. That's not true. We believe as Christians, and the Bible teaches, there is absolute truth. It's not my truth, your truth. Now, we may disagree sometimes on what the Bible is saying, but we are seeking to understand the Scriptures, to live according to the Scriptures, to lay our lives before the Scriptures. Does this make sense? This is a huge problem today. And I blame my generation. We have not done a good job of helping our children to be protected and to learn how to think biblically and critically about culture. And then Thyatira, 
Do not live a compartmentalized life. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Here's an indication of a church that has allowed false teaching, false teaching, a false prophetess, false prophecies to be proclaimed, and they've not challenged it. This happens in churches all the time. There are things that are taught that are not consistent with the Word of God. And it, what we believe leads us to live a certain kind of lifestyle. If we believe something that's not true, we're going to act on it in a way that dishonors God. In the same way, when I receive something that's true and believe it, I will act in a way that does honor God. Here's the next one. Sardis. It's not about appearances. Man, I, I love Sardis. Because, I, I man, I, I see this so much in my life. What we see here in Sardis was that they were, they were living according to this desire to appear a certain way. Listen to this. To the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him. Well, let me go to the, let me go to the passage. Oops, sorry about that. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive but are dead. Does that strike you? You have the reputation. People look at you and they say, wow, that church is so alive. And Jesus says, you're dead. You're not alive. What? So often we're so concerned about appearances. What happens to a lot of us is we live in church a certain way. We live in school or work a certain way. We live in our home a different way. And we're living different lives everywhere we go. He says, wake up. Strengthen what remains. It is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. When we live just for appearances, we don't fulfill the things that God has called us to do unless people are looking. Unless people are watching. I only pray when I pray in front of people. I only read the word when, I, when I'm in a group. God wants us not to speak the right language. He wants us to have a heart for him. He wants us to be alive. And he says that we can come alive again. Remember what you have received and heard. Hold fast to it and repent. Repent. You know, it's not the people that you see all the time that are necessarily those who are most important in the church. The Bible says it's those you don't see. It's the prayer warriors. It's the people who are serving behind the scenes, doing all those things that nobody stands up and applauds. Here's the Church of Philadelphia. This is a church where there has been lots to celebrate. And I love this. In verse 8, we read these words. He says this, I know your deeds. Friends, right there, God knows your deeds. You're not getting away with anything. There's nothing in the closet that God doesn't see. There's nothing under the bed that God already doesn't know about. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. 
I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Is that a beautiful description? I know you have, you're running to the end of your strength. I know that you're weary. I know that you're struggling. But you have kept the faith. You have kept my word. You have been faithful. God knows that. Maybe there are some of you here this morning. Maybe you're in an, an industry where everybody cheats and you're doing business the honest way and you're paying a price for it. You're just so tired of fighting the fight that it, it just want to just compromise. And yet you hear these words from God. I love this. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. What he's saying to the church of Philadelphia is keep going and doing what you're doing. I see it. I know it. It matters. And God may be saying that to some of you today. I know you're fighting for your marriage and it feels like you're just going in the wrong direction. God sees it. And he's honored by it. He says keep going. Keep going. You're doing it for me. You're doing it for me. Maybe you're in a difficult relationship and, and, and it's just hard to forgive this person for the things that they've done in the past. And, and in your strength, you say, I just can't. I, I can't. God says, I see your little strength, but you have been faithful. Keep going. Keep going. And then finally... We see this, the church at Laodicea, and I love this. Let me describe this very quickly, a warning against being lukewarm in your faith. This is an amazing, an amazing passage, and um, you've got Laodicea is a, a significant city, but they have no access to water. Colossae's to the north. And they have cold water springs. And so water would be brought down from Colossae. Herapolis, to the east, had uh, hot water springs. So they would bring water from Herapolis. By the time the water would arrive in Laodicea, what do you think the temperature was? Lukewarm, exactly. Lukewarm. Oh, nothing like a cold glass of water from a cold spring when you're really thirsty. Or a nice warm bath in a, in a hot spring when you're, when you're dirty. Oh, it's lukewarm. God is using an image that they know all too well. And what does he say? Verses 15 and 16 of chapter 3 says this. He says, likewise, you, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Listen to this. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What's he talking about? He's talking about just going through the motions of faith. He's talking about, all. it's a good summary of all he said to the churches. 
You're tolerating things you should never tolerate. You're compromising where you can't, shouldn't compromise. You're not passionate. You have no passion for me. You're just going through the motions. You're not, you're not seeking me. And he says to them, I see it all. You're not fulfilling the promises that you made at your profession of faith. You're not doing what you committed to do. And he says, therefore, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What he goes on to say, though, is he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. We often use that verse as if he's talking to non-Christians. He's not talking to non-Christians. He's talking to you and me. I stand at the door right now, the door of your life, and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Let me just share as I close. Let me just share with you a couple of examples of being lukewarm. Lukewarm is about not depending upon the Lord, but depending on ourselves. That is one of the great American Christian mistakes that we make. We are so individualistic, we think that we don't need anybody, God himself. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll believe in God to go, uh, in Jesus to go to heaven, but I don't really need him. I don't need to depend on him. And so it's, you think you're prosperous because of your material wealth or your good relationships, or a satisfying life. But the reality is, apart from a growing relationship with him, you are spiritually poor. You think you are self-sufficient, in need of nothing, but you are spiritually compromised. Those are examples of being lukewarm. You think you're aware of your own spiritual condition, but then you are blinded by your own sin. You don't even see it. You don't recognize it. Or you think that your life is clothed in good works, but your motivation has nothing to do with God. But it's all about the praise from people that you want for yourself. These are examples of being lukewarm. Friends, it's a joy for me to share this with you. Because <laughs> I've lived in this all week. And I encourage you to take a look at these passages. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the life that you have brought, the life that you have given. We thank you for the incredible things that you are doing. But Lord, we know that any relationship needs focus. Needs us to pay attention to what's going on. Needs energy, needs time. Lord, I pray for every person here that you would give them energy for you and passion for you as we decide to turn around and to embrace you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.